Well, good morning to you. Uh, although, in fact, it's actually evening here as we're recording this message uh, over the Halloween weekend. And as we were driving up to the church, there were fireworks going off everywhere. And I'm taking that as a prophetic sign of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Because when we begin to hear what God is saying, it really causes such a celebration to rise up in us. And in fact, the message I've entitled this message, Joy Inexpressible and Full of Glory. And uh, I really believe that in my soul tonight and in yours, as the Holy Spirit gets to work with the message of the gospel, the foolishness of this message is able to open our eyes to what all of heaven can see, which is the celebration over us, over the finished work of Christ. And so today, as I was thinking about this message, I want to begin by saying I'm seeing more and more the importance in my life of thanksgiving, the fundamental importance of having a grateful heart it's something quite astonishing. And I use that phrase coming to see deliberately because as you know, I've been speaking over the last few weeks about the difference between seeing by the natural and seeing by the spirit. And I found that the greatest indicator in my life of how I am seeing is the level of thanksgiving in my life. To see by mere natural vision is to struggle to see past what we don't appear to have. It's to be always comparing yourself with others and as someone has rightly said, a comparison is the thief of joy. But to see by the Spirit is to be filled with a thanksgiving that lifts you above your natural circumstances because to see by the Spirit is to see that all you need for this life you have been given in Christ, praise God. So I could say then that the state of my soul today is really down to the state of my vision. To see by earthly vision, to see as someone only born of the first Adam, really is to struggle to see past my great lack, what I don't appear to have. And so to see with natural earthly vision is to be filled with fear. But to see by the Spirit, to see as someone born of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, is really to see the enormity of what has been given to me, which is communion with the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And the clearer I can see that, the more I'm filled with such a thanksgiving that wells up, it can only be described as joy inexpressible and full of glory. And what I want to show you today is that to speak from there is to speak of the Spirit. So as we've seen in previous weeks, it's only when we see by the Spirit that we're able to speak of the Spirit. And so if to see by the Spirit is to be filled with thanksgiving, to be filled with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, then that is how we are to speak if we're truly speaking of the Spirit if we're truly preaching the gospel of the Spirit. In other words, to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to be filled with thanksgiving and to minister that gospel as thanksgiving. Uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So to have a revelation of what God has really done fills our mouths with thanksgiving. So from the perspective of the Spirit, the gospel has always been the news which brings great thanksgiving. Now that's worth saying again. From the perspective of the Spirit, the gospel has always been the news that brings great thanksgiving. In fact, if you remember, that's how the angel announced the news of the incarnation. Uh, back in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says that the angel uh, declared to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. And the original Greek word there used to describe the joy the gospel brings, that word great is actually mega. And that's wonderful, I love that. The angel described the gospel as the, the good news of mega joy 
for all people. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Did the angel say that the birth of Jesus and all that meant for mankind was good news for all people or only good news for some people? You see, the gospel can only be good news for all people if God has done something for all people. It can't be good news for all people if God has only done something for some people. So to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to preach to someone who sees the enormity, the scope of what has been done for all people, who sees what the angel sees, the enormity of what has been given to man, communion with the Father through Christ in the Spirit. In other words, to see by the Spirit is to see that all man will ever need he has been given in Christ. And only in seeing that can we preach the gospel as good news of mega joy for all men. But what has been given needs to be received. Yes, the gospel is good news for all men because Christ's communion with the Father has been given for all men. But what has been given needs to be received. Now, we need to talk today about receiving because so often in the history and in the culture of the church, receiving has been made into a work of the flesh, not of the Spirit. Now, why is it so important to understand receiving to be a work of the Spirit? Because if you think receiving is a work of the flesh, it will change the way you preach the gospel. I'll say that again. If you think receiving is a work of the flesh, it will change the way you present or preach the gospel. If you think receiving is a work of the flesh, you will preach the gospel in a way that stirs the flesh. In other words, you won't preach it with a focus on God's giving, but rather on man's response. The focus of your message will not be, here is what God has done for you. Rather, instead, your gospel will sound like, here is what you have to do for God. But receiving is not a work of the flesh. It is not a matter of, if you say this prayer, then God will do something for you. Because the gospel is not, if you first do this for God, then God will do this for you. In other words, if you, then God is not the gospel. Because that's a you first message. And the gospel is not a you first message. It is a he first message. We only love him because he first loved us. We can only receive from him because he first gives us the faith to receive from him. Now that's worth saying again. We can only receive from him because he first gives us the faith to receive from him. And that faith to receive what God has given comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. It comes by hearing what God has given. It doesn't come by hearing what God might give if you. The gospel doesn't point you to yourself. It points you to Christ. Never tell anyone they need more faith. That is to point them to themselves. Instead, give them the gospel that brings faith, the gospel that lifts men's eyes off themselves and their response and fixes their hope entirely instead on the generosity of God, the God who loved us so much that he gave and gave first. Give them a gospel that's great enough, generous enough, and mega enough to lift their eyes completely off themselves and instead leave their vision consumed, captivated by what God has done, by what Christ has given, that they find up rising up in their souls, they find a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Praise God. Now that joy is our strength. Let that joy be their strength to deny themselves, not their willpower. For men aren't saved by willpower, but rather by a will empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit, praise God. It's not of ourselves. In other words, don't preach the gospel for a response 
in the flesh. Don't leave men's hope on how they prayed or what they prayed or how many tears they cried or how many sins they confessed. Don't leave their vision there on themselves or you will leave their hope there on themselves. And that is no foundation for a life of thanksgiving. And believe me, the life of thanksgiving is God's will for us. Remember, Paul wrote that to the Thessalonians. This is God's will for you, is to rejoice always, praise God. Pray unceasingly and give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is so fundamental. So let me say this again. So often in the history and in the culture of the church, receiving has been made into a work of the flesh rather than a work of the spirit. And let me show you how this happens. I'm going to bring you to Luke 15 to have a look at an example uh, that will help us in this. In Luke 15, we find perhaps Jesus' most famous, certainly most popular parable, and that's the parable of the prodigal son. And in that story, he describes the son returning to the father, standing before him, confessing, as it were, uh, before him with his head down, confessing his sin and asking for help. Now, I have a question for you this morning. What was the basis of the father accepting the son? Was it the son's repentance or was it the father's love? You see, in that story in Luke 15, which did Jesus say came first? The father running down the road, falling on the son, kissing him, embracing him, or the son's carefully thought out confession of sin and request for forgiveness? Now, if you read that story, you will see quite clearly, not only was the son accepted before he got a chance to say a word, But even while he was still trying to make his confession, the father was already dressing him, already addressing him as a son and dressing him as a son. Now, some of you might say, ah, but Phelan, the father wouldn't have been able to do that. He wouldn't have been able to accept him if the son had not returned. In other words, his return was his repentance. The father accepted him because he repented. So we need to tell people to repent in order for God to accept them. That sort of sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, it really does certainly sound familiar because if you've been around the church for any length of time, it certainly sounds familiar. How many times have you heard the gospel preached in that way that everything hangs on the sincerity of your repentance? You need to repent before God can accept you into his kingdom. Now, I believe in repentance, but what I'm going to show you now is that this common concept of repentance as what we must do in order to be accepted by God is not biblical repentance. And this widespread misrepresentation of repentance is what lies at the root of why so many in the church have made receiving into a work of the flesh and not a work of the spirit. If you believe the prodigal son's return was repentance, then you have been sold a watered down version of biblical repentance. Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but it is the Spirit who gives birth to Spirit. Any repentance without a revelation of the Spirit is not a repentance of the Spirit. Any repentance without a revelation of the Spirit is not a repentance of the Spirit. It doesn't matter how many prayers you have prayed, how many tears you have shed, no matter what you have done, no man can repent apart from the Holy Spirit. For only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to see who God is. And only knowing Him by the Spirit, knowing Him in truth, brings into our lives the supernatural level of thanksgiving, the joy inexpressible and full of glory that brings true, lasting transformation, true repentance. It's a transformation of the root, really, of our lives, what our hearts are believing 
about the Father. Any repentance without a revelation of the Spirit is not a repentance of the Spirit. Now let me show you what I mean by looking again at the story of the prodigal son. From your reading of that story in Luke 15, would you agree that he may not even have returned when he did if there hadn't have been a famine? Remember, the famine left him penniless. The son returned because he was dying of starvation. His flesh was crying out for food. He returned to try and cut a deal with the father to save himself. He had a confession prayer, all rehearsed if you remember, but he didn't know how the father would react, how he was going to be greeted. He didn't know if he would be accepted or not. He wasn't sure. Do you know why? Because in truth, he didn't know his father. That's the whole point. That was the whole point of Jesus' story and why I think that parable remains the most popular of all parables because fundamentally, that's our problem. We're not sure. We don't know the Father in the way that he wants us to. We're not sure about how he feels about us. In truth, to us, he is the Father we never knew. The prodigal son's return was not biblical repentance because it was not based on a revelation of the Father. So it was not of the Spirit. It was of the flesh. And remember, the flesh gives birth to flesh. Only the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, the son did repent, but it was not his return that was the moment of his repentance. Do you want to know when the prodigal son actually repented? Well, when he truly saw the Father for who he was. Because apart from the truth about who he is, there can be no true repentance unto God. Apart from the truth of who he really is, there can be no true repentance unto God. Now, I like to think that the prodigal son truly repented sometime that evening during the party. Maybe he leaned over to get a piece of the fatted calf and caught a glimpse of the ring on his finger and looked up and saw his father smiling and suddenly it hit him. My God, this is real. This is actually happening. My father really is this good. And in that moment, something just welled up within him, a thanksgiving that was joy inexpressible and full of glory. And that was the moment of repentance, praise God. Uh, because that power in our life of thanksgiving, that's God's will for our life. That's the true revelation. When we really see the Father for who He is, we are just overwhelmed by that thanksgiving. You see, the Lord knows all the self-centered reasons why we cry out to Him, and He hears all the promises we make, and He knows that there are some things we need to get off our chests, but none of that is true repentance, a repentance of the Spirit, if in all of that, there still has not been a revelation of who the Father really is the heart of the Father. The Apostle John wrote that. He wrote, in fact, that before Jesus came, no one had at any time seen God. Jesus himself declared to Philip, Philip, don't you know yet, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And of course, the Apostle Paul said that eh, the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It was on the cross, he spread out his arms. He embraced us in all our filthiness. He buried us in himself praise God. And a little while later, he sent the Spirit, and just as the Father rushed down the road and embraced and kissed the prodigal son, so on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound of a mighty rushing, and the Holy Spirit came down, and the disciples were kissed from heaven again and again. And the effect on that was to melt their cold hearts. And on the day of Pentecost, by the Spirit, those disciples had a true metanoia. Suddenly, they saw how good God was. And you know the effect of that on them? They went out, they were so full of thanksgiving, they, they were fit to burst. They had to let it out. 
They had to rush out of that room. They had to let it out. And it came out of them really in, a, in words they'd never even heard before. The Spirit was so excited as well. He gave them utterance. And what did that look like to passers-by? You know what it looked like? It looked and sounded like they were drunk. That's what people said, you're drunk. And of course they replied, no, we're not drunk uh, naturally. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But I, I think of that so often. The church was birthed in joy. They were birthed in a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And all we do when we water down the gospel of God's grace is we leave men thirsty enough to go looking elsewhere for a drink. Now, we're talking about the prodigal son because I said that across the church, because of the misrepresentation of repentance, receiving has been made into a work of the flesh, not of the spirit. Now, I've already said that the son probably didn't repent, didn't have a true metanoia, a total change of thinking, until he was actually perhaps tasting the fatted calf and knew in his heart the love of the father. In other words, his coming home didn't become true repentance until he saw the truth about the father. And remember, that's what we're speaking about over these weeks, what it is to see by the spirit. But now let me ask you a question. What about the father? When did the father accept the prodigal? Now remember, we're asking that question, what was the basis uh, for the father accepting him back? Was it the son's repentance or was it the father's love? Now I've already said that the father couldn't have accepted the son back after he made his confession because by that time he had already embraced him and was covering him in kisses and dressing him. Could it be that the father had already accepted him even before he came home? Well, I believe that to see when the father accepted the son, you've got to go back to the beginning of that story when it says that the son came to the father and said, give me the money that's due to me now, give me the inheritance. And what he was effectively saying was, I want to live as if you're dead. And what happened next was the part that the Pharisees really would have stumbled over because it says quite clearly that the father gave his son his inheritance even while the son was rejecting him. In other words, even though his son was rejecting him, the father never rejected the son. He was still treating him as his son. Why else did he give him the inheritance if he wasn't his son? So when did the father accept his son? Answer, he had always accepted his son. He couldn't have given him his inheritance if he had not accepted him. You see, to religion, man has to first accept God before God will accept him. But by the gospel of God's grace, the gospel of the Spirit, the gospel that brings joy inexpressible and full of glory is a gospel that reveals that God accepted us, not when we accepted him, but when we were rejecting him. Praise God. The love of this world will accept you when you deserve acceptance. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5 and 8. My goodness, what a verse. I believe we need to go away and meditate on that verse. Hear it again and again and again. Let it be like the kisses of the father raining down on the prodigal son. One kiss is not enough. Two kisses is not enough. Three kisses. He kisses and kisses and kisses because he's melting his, his cold heart. He, he's restoring him to, to who he is, who he sees him to be. And that verse does that for me. I need to hear that verse again and again until something like thanksgiving is birthed in my heart. Something like joy inexpressible and full of glory. Only such a thanksgiving brings a joy powerful enough to melt and mold the, the hardest heart in the world. Only a repentance of the Spirit, a true metanoia, a true revelation of the heart of the Father brings such a joy, such a strength. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
to the life of any believer. And that's why everywhere across the church where repentance has been watered down to merely what you need to do for God, you will see that nobody gets drunk on the gospel anymore. At the end of the day, the root of every darkness in our lives is not a lack of willpower, but a lack of revelation. The state of your soul and mind today, how we're living, is down to the state of our vision. To see by natural earthly vision, to see as one born only of the first Adam, is to struggle to see past what I don't appear to have, is to see life and see myself through the eyes of fear. But to see by God's Spirit, to see as someone born of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, is to see the enormity of what has been given to me, communion with the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And the clearer I see that, the more my life is filled with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, the most powerful force in the world. You and I are saved entirely by the grace of God. We're not saved by our repentance because true repentance is seeing how completely God has saved us in Christ. I think that's worth saying again. You're not saved by your repentance because repentance is seeing how completely we have been saved by the Father through Christ. It is seeing the generosity of the Father, the heart of the Father. And through that, through that seeing by the Spirit, we find in our lives faith as the gift of God. This is so important. There's no end to the generosity of God. He doesn't even ask you to produce yourself the faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing this fantastic message. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Remember, Paul wrote that to the Ephesians. He also wrote, repentance has to be not a work of the flesh, but of the Spirit, because he said that no man comes to the Lord unless the Spirit enables him to do so. Jesus as Lord can only be said by the Spirit, Paul wrote. In other words, the production of faith, that's God's part. It's not our part, and it comes by hearing of how generous he is, the hearing of the gospel of grace, not the hearing of the gospel of your repentance. Faith comes by hearing the gospel of what God has given, not the gospel of what he might give if you repent. No one gets drunk on that gospel. So we're talking this morning of how often the church has made receiving to be a work of the flesh and not a work of the spirit. So I'll say it again. Never tell anyone they need more faith. Receiving is a work of the spirit. Give them the gospel that brings faith, the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of their repentance or their faith. Receiving is not a work of the flesh. It is a work of the Spirit because it is seeing what no natural eye can see, what no ear has heard, what no heart has conceived of, the generosity of God, what no natural mind can even imagine. His love, a love that accepts us while we're still rejecting Him. A love that didn't say, I will accept them when they repent of their ways and stop rejecting me. It was a love that declared, I will love them and I will give everything to them in the moment they're rejecting me, while they're spitting in my face, while they're reviling me, while they're crucifying me. In that moment, I will reveal to them my love, a love that accepts them through everything. And that's what will set them free from themselves. Praise God. God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You know, the more you see repentance as a work of the flesh, the more you will preach the gospel as what men have to give to God rather than how much God has given to men. And such messages will always sound earnest and they'll always sound necessary, as necessary as the need that carried the prodigal son home to his father. 
and by such messages men will find themselves in church but they will not find themselves drunk on a joy inexpressible and full of glory for in the modern church there is not the joy that throws such parties instead there is very often a works ethic that will more likely see the prodigals brought into the house simply to be a trip equipped trained up for the fields where they can quietly join their elder brothers working in the fields working for the rest of their lives in order that one day in the by and by they may inherit what the father has to give to them it's so not the gospel why do i feel so strongly about this because for years that's where i was for many years you know whenever i heard anyone talk about faith or repentance i heard those words were about me and my heart used to sink because i wrongly understood that god was looking to me to come up with some level of repentance or some level of faith that was going to move him before he'd do something for me no wonder my heart used to sink because believing that you have to produce something of yourself to move God leaves your hope on yourself. And do you know what I've found after years of seeing that in my own life and seeing that in the lives of others? That really, to believe that repentance and faith was something we had to produce for God, a hope on yourself is not a strong enough hope to get drunk on. A hope on yourself is not a strong enough hope to be drunk on. And that's because when my hope is constantly directed onto my performance, my prayer life, my church service, I can no longer find in my heart a thanksgiving welling up to joy inexpressible and full of glory because I find it impossible to be thankful to a God who is always demanding more. A hope on yourself is not a strong enough hope to get drunk on. Now I began by saying that I found the greatest indicator in my own life of how I'm seeing is a level of thanksgiving in my life. If I'm seeing by the Spirit, or am I just seeing with natural eyes? It's the level of thanksgiving in my life. You see, we were made to know the joy of the Father over us and to share in that joy. It's a joy that only comes by freely receiving his kisses, his embrace, his love, his kingdom, and his name for us, which is my son and heir, the one I never rejected, the one I never withheld anything from, even when you were rejecting me. Now, the natural man cannot imagine God like that, cannot perceive God to be that generous, for he's never seen generosity like that in the natural realm. As the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, someone might dare to die for a good man, but for the likes of us. You see, all men have ever heard of God is religion, self-effort. You get what you deserve. So without a revelation of the Spirit, natural man cannot speak of a God who freely gives because he cannot imagine such a God, especially when all his natural vision can see around him is lack. Where is all this provision, he thinks? All his natural understanding can deduct from that is that God is not freely given. So he must be a God who is waiting for us to give him something first. So when such a man opens his mouth, out comes what he's believing in his heart. And what he is believing, the gospel he preaches that comes out really will always sound like a message on what men need to give to God before God will give to them. Now, how can I convince you that's not the gospel? I don't have to. I only ask you, have to ask you this morning to look in your own heart because if you cannot find there a joy inexpressible and full of glory, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you why. 
Ask him to show you why feet that were made to run to the streets with the good news are now these days only walking to church for more good advice. So many verses in the Bible start with this word, behold, see. The Holy Spirit has given that we may, we may see what God sees. And what he sees is that in Christ, God has withheld no good thing from us. He gave us all he had to give before we ever tried to earn it. And that for a very good reason, because he wanted so much that we would have all he had that he determined never to shackle or tie down his own giving to our performance. He didn't want to do that. And that's why he never has given according to our works. He has only ever given according to his nature. And as long as we remain blind to his nature, we'll always be asking him for what is already ours in Christ. As long as we remain blind to his nature, we'll always be asking him for what is already ours in Christ. No wonder Jesus sent his disciples off to preach with one phrase ringing in their ears. Freely you have received, freely give. And that's why we've been given the Spirit. For unlike the Spirit of the world, the Spirit that comes from God reveals to us the things God has freely given. That's 1 Corinthians 2.12. I love that verse. As long as you can't see past what you don't appear to have, then salvation will always appear to you as something to be achieved rather than received. As long as we're not seeing by the Spirit, we'll preach the gospel as good advice, not good news, not the good news of mega joy. And churches will continue to be the last place people would go to, to find people drunk with joy. Because a hope in yourself is not a strong enough hope to get drunk on. I believe that's gonna change, you know, I really do. For the heart of the Father continues to be what it was that Jesus described it as when he described the Father going out to talk to the elder brother. The, the, the elder brother representing us who have for years have tried to earn the blessing of God, who have been so self-conscious, so obsessed with what we're doing for him that we cannot see what has already been given. And the Father went out and he spoke this one truth a truth that reverberates down through the centuries, a truth that the Holy Spirit is going out to the church and declaring right now. And it was so beautifully articulated. Jesus put these words into the mouth of the father to the elder brother. He said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. My goodness, what a wonderful revelation. And I believe uh, whoever you are, if you're listening to this message, if you can hear that as God's word to you today, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Then the Holy Spirit is already beginning to open your eyes and open your ears. And despite all this happened in your life, you are beginning to see by the Spirit what all of heaven sees, that your heavenly Father gave you all he had in Christ. He has withheld no good thing from you. For if he delivered up his Son for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? How will you know? when you've really believed that. Because in that moment, you will find something birthed in your heart and growing in you a thanksgiving that is nothing short of joy, inexpressible and full of glory. God bless you.
thank you for listening today and for watching. If something you heard resonated with you today, if you felt God speak to you today and you want to get in touch, please feel free to do that. You can do that through the platforms of YouTube and Facebook. Go to River City Church Ireland or email us at info at rivercityapostolic.org. God bless you.